Welcome to another iGrow season at APC. We're so glad you've tuned in. Our church is blessed with excellent teachers of the Word of God, and our hope is that you find today's teaching enlightening, motivational, and encouraging. To learn more about our church, visit theapc.org or find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's lesson. James starts his book and he says, count it all joy when you fall into what? Diverse temptations. All kinds of trials, all kinds of things. And why do we count that joy? How is it working for our good? What's it doing? It says, let patience have her perfect work that you can be mature, that you can be lacking nothing. That way you can be put into a bad situation and you've got the spiritual muscle to hold it up. You're not a weakling. Count it all joy. They're going out in the world. They're leaving Jerusalem. Uh, There's a famine in Jerusalem. There's persecution in Jerusalem. They've just converted. And they're going out into the world. They're going to be facing the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. But they're also going to be carriers of the gospel. So they've got to be strong. It's like you guys going into college. You're going in facing all these things, but you're to go in there strong and able to overcome. So we also distinguished a trial and temptation and said a trial is where our faith is tested, but a temptation is when it comes upon our fallen man and we desire it, something that's not reconciled to God in us or something that's not crucified. And then we also said, what comes from God? All good gifts. Did Satan convince Eve that God was holding out on her and that there was something good? Mm-hmm. Will the God of this world convince you guys that God's holding out on you and you need something outside of the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. Yes, but James lets us know everything good comes from God. And if you ask in faith, he'll give it to you. Mm-hmm. We talked about a double-minded person. What's a double-minded person? They want to be... And they want the benefits of of being in the church. They want to be saved. They want that. But but they want to be in the world too. Will that work? That's instability. You'll never get anywhere in the church. And you'll never get get anywhere. You You won't move forward. And then we talked about that we're born of the word. How are we born? How did we hear the salvation message? The word. We had to hear it. We had to believe it. That seed had to get planted in us. It had to grow. And then it produces fruit, doesn't it? And how we live our lives. So, because the word is so important, that's how we got saved, was hearing the word. We're to be what? Yeah. He says, wherefore, in one. He links those two together. Wherefore, be careful with your word. And then we found out that Jesus is the Lord of glory in chapter 1. Okay, let's go to the next review. So James chapter 2, where's my information? Okay, there it is. (laughs) James chapter 2, justified by works of obedience. You're going to come 
have a abundance of doctrine in this day and age that you live that says you have to do nothing to be saved. Mm -hmm. That God does it all. That you have to do not a nothing, nothing. And if you say you have to do something, then God didn't save you. That is a doctrine. But James refutes it. He out and out. You can pick your sword up and you can just cut yourself free from that false doctrine because James lets us know that faith without works is dead. That you have to have faith and you have to have works. You have to have both. And where those are highlighted. And Abraham is used as an example and Rahab is used as an example. Was our father, now Abraham is the father of what? Faith, the faithful. Was our father Abraham not shown to be justified by what? Works. Just as if I've never sinned by works of obedience which expressed his faith when he offered Isaac his son on the altar. And it says, as a result of the works, his faith was Completely. mature, lacking nothing. So we got to have the trials and we got to have the faith work. Because we want to be mature Christian, don't we? We don't want to be a baby. You see that a man is justified by works and not faith alone. You're going to majorly come up against this doctrine. You're going to majorly. I hear it so much. I see it so much on Facebook. Um, for just as the human body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works of obedience is dead also. We had to repent. We had, to, we had to believe. We had to repent. We had to be baptized. We had to wait and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And we have to do that daily. We have to take off the old man and put on the new and walk in righteousness and holiness and truth. Next slide, please. So we're talking about maturity. Does God want us to get off the milk and get on the meat? Yes, he does. And he wants us to reproduce. And a tree has to be about three years old to produce fruit, doesn't it? So we've got to grow, and when we produce fruit, it brings glory to God. The Lord of glory, it brings glory to him. So James 3 is going to come in on what we just covered in these first two chapters, and it's just going to build a little bit more on this theme of maturity. It adds another layer to our Christian maturity by talking about how we use our what? Words. 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 How we use our words in teaching in generally speaking to others, and the quality and content of our speech reveals how much we have let godly wisdom truly mature us. Remember, let patience have her perfect work. Oh, I've had a horrible day. It's been terrible. Kick the cat. Just come into the house. Or as patience had her perfect work. Oh, Lord, I'd have never made it through this day. Help me get to my bed. Jesus, thank you that I have a bed. <laughs> we have rough days, don't we? But let patience have her perfect work in you. That's what he's desiring. That's what he's trying to get us to. And James himself is going to be martyred 14 years after he writes this book. And he has taken on the responsibility of being a leader at a very, very difficult time. His nickname is Camel Knees. That's how he prayed so much. And he was down on his knees. History tells us that. So he was willing to take on tremendous responsibility in a church in very, very difficult times. So he knows what he's talking about. Next one, please. 
So when we start off James 3, 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers serving in an official teaching capacity. My brothers and sisters, we're using the Amplified here. My brothers and sisters, for you know that we who are teachers will be judged by a higher standard because we have assumed greater accountability and more condemnation if we teach incorrectly. So where much is given, much is required. We'll be accountable. Will I be accountable? talking of what I'm saying yeah, coming yeah. out of my mouth? Absolutely. Let's go, let's go for that. But he's not trying to get us to not teach. He's warning us about the, and especially about being a preacher or, or a minister. Matthew 28, 19 tells us to teach. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me. Believe in me and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that name is singular. And what is that name? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus Christ. So teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of the circumstance and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. So we know that James 1 told us if we lack wisdom, just ask for it and ask in faith. And that and uh, he that wins souls is wise. We're going to win souls with this word, aren't we? With our words. But we're also going to win it by uh, our Christian character and what they see. When they see us being patient, how they see us reacting when they Not that our lives are perfect. I know that one woman that's in the church, she said when she saw uh, somebody, uh, a Pentecostal couple having difficulty, and she saw how they handled it, the wife, she said, they're real people. And she actually, that ended up making her come into the church and get interested in the church, because before she didn't even think they ever had a problem. So they're watching us, aren't they? They're going to see, outsiders are going to see how that we're conducting ourselves. And if we're wise in conducting ourselves very wise, we're going to be doing what? It's going to result in us winning souls. <laughs> God's going to open that door. Next one, please. So James 3, 2. <laughs> For we all stumble in sin in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, never saying the wrong thing, he is a perfect man, fully developed in character without serious flaws, able to bridle his whole body and reign in his entire nature, taming his human faults and weaknesses. So God is impressed by how fast you can get your flesh under control, reigning in your whole body. Do you have to do that? Do you feel something want to rise up in you and you just pull it back just like you would pull the reins back on a horse in your spiritual man? I did that today. I was uh, I was just not feeling real well today and I had a long to-do list and uh, I turned on uh, something about being thankful and that was helping me. I was encouraging myself with those words and I was just uh, just pushing through it and praying through it and I was just about done. I had like maybe five more minutes and I was done and about 30 minutes and Sister Ellen was going to come see me and we were going to study and I go in and I got everything done and my husband has pulled out all the old food and is going to throw it away and have all these dirty dishes. 
and my whole blood pressure just went up and my face changed and I just pulled the reins. I just pulled the reins and he said, what? And I said, well, it's just not the best time to pull that all out. He said, oh, well, I've got to take the trash out. Well, the trash is tomorrow morning. You know, we could have done it tonight. I said, oh, okay. And I said, I just didn't didn't want to have to wash the dishes. I said, but that's okay. That's okay. He's like, I'll do it, I'll do it. And I'm like, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> we'll get it done. But I thought y'all would laugh at this picture. I actually really love this man that's in this picture, but he's very controversial, isn't he? And, and there's times that his little tweets and he things. He needs to rein himself in. Yeah, that he, that he needs to learn. You know, we all, we all could grow in that. Okay, next, please. So we're talking about perfect. We're talking about complete. We're talking about liking nothing. We're talking about uh, my flesh don't run me, I run it. The Spirit of God. We're talking about growing and, and being fruit producers. And Abraham, the father of the faithful, uh, in Genesis 17, 1, the Lord spoke to him when Abraham was 99 years old. At this point, he's walked with the Lord for 29 years, I think, because he was 70, I think, when he came out. So when he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk habitually before me with integrity knowing that you are always in my presence and be blameless and complete in obedience to me. So the King James says, be perfect. Be blameless and complete. Don't be lacking. Lacking no good thing. God doesn't want us to lack any good thing. For some reason, I forgot about my notes. Let me... Catch up with myself here. <laughs> the opposite. I'm usually pretty, pretty good about following it. Okay. Next one, please. So, James 1.4 says, Let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking nothing. And next one, please. So, blameless or perfect divine. Now, God, wait, 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 blameless or perfect defined. Oh, my definitions are missing. Somehow this transferred different than I had it. Mm -hmm. I can't really do anything about it. It does not, God's not a mean God up there saying, be perfect, be perfect, be perfect. You ever had a teacher or even uh, just somebody that was over you that just demanded perfection and accepted nothing and didn't give you love or any grace whatsoever or room? God's not like that. But he is saying, come on, come on, come get grace, come ask me for wisdom. Come on, let's grow. You can do, you can do more. He's encouraging you. He's, he's compelling you to come on. So the Hebrew for uh, perfect is entire, complete, full, without blemish. Now, going back to one, without blemish makes me think of those keep yourself unspotted from the world, okay? The Greek is finished, complete, having reached its end. Remember Paul saying, I've run the race, I fought a good fight, therefore it's laid up for me, the, you know, the reward, he was going after it. The English is lacking nothing essential to the whole without defect, complete. So note all three, the Hebrew, the Greek, and the English, all three of these uh, contain the word complete. 
So my question to you and my question to myself when I'm reading this, because I know God's not, you know, up there with a hammer fixing to knock me out. And, you know, I know that he's got lots of love and lots of patience and lots of goodness toward me. And he's been extremely patient with me. Is God simply, try, is simply trying to live for God good enough? So sin is missing the mark. That's what sin is, missing the mark of what God's called you to do. So is me shooting and trying to hit the goal, say, say, trying to hit the middle of it, trying to do it, is that good enough? And when we look in the Word, my question also is, will grace cover one's rebellion or lukewarmness? What about those? Out and out rebellions like witchcraft, lukewarmness. God said, I would rather you spew me, I want to spew out of my mouth. It's repulsive. So there is a high calling on our lives to come out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to have no, not a, zero, none fellowship with the works of darkness. Not just a little bit of the world. Keep yourself unspotted, but rather to renounce them. Simply trying is not good enough. We are to come out. Jesus was compassionate and kind to the sinner. Don't we see that in the Gospels when he walked this earth? Loving them so much he gave his very life to break the curse of sin on their lives. Sin, all of that punishment was ours. And he took it. That's how much he loved. And he broke that curse. He broke it. If we choose to go the way of the cross, we can be free. He was led by love to the cross, love for his father, and love for the sinner. Two reasons, love for his father, love for his sinner, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We are to be led by love, to take up our cross. Love for God and love for fellow man, the royal law. Because our flesh, if we don't cross it, if we don't take it's not only our enemy, it's our fellow man's enemy too. Because it's just got selfishness and self-centeredness and just it wants what it wants, okay? It's, it's our fellow man's enemy. So everyone will not get a participation trophy. Have you ever been in a class and all the little kids get a trophy? Mm -hmm. That's not the way it is in the kingdom. Well done will not be said to those who took a shot at it. Sister Mamie used to say, he can't say well done if I haven't done well. Well done will be said to those who loved the Lord. Where am I getting that word loved? Go back to one. James tells us he's going to give the crown of life to those that love him. So a major factor in you overcoming the world, the flesh, and the devil is love. Love for God and love for others. And you're going to have to pray for that. You're going to have every what comes from God? Good gift. Good gift. So a runner training to run a race, do they get the best shoes? Do they eat the best supplements? Do they do the best training? Do they do everything they can do to excel in that race? Mm -hmm. Well, we've got to get, in our, in our race, we've got to get love. We've got to get lots of it. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. love. We've got to have it. 
So well done will not be said to those who love the Lord with the, well done will be said to those who love the Lord with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. That's the first commandment, the greatest. To the ones who made it out of Egypt, which represents slavery to sin, made it through the wilderness into the promised land and overcame the enemy and ran them out. So there's lots to do, isn't there? How did they do it? How did Joshua do it? What did, what did the Lord say to him? We know that he never came out of that a little tent in the wilderness. He prayed all the time. So he, was, he had a continual prayer life. But Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall read and meditate on it day and night. Do you know that will keep you in perfect peace? It absolutely will. So that you may be careful to do everything. So there's things to do. Careful to do everything in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will be successful. So everyone will not get a participation trophy. The ones that love him will be rewarded with the crown of life, eternal life with him. We cannot even fathom it. We can't get it in our minds. Let me remind you of the true processes we learned about in chapter 1. Do you all remember them? A process that leads to death and a process that leads to life. Spiritual death. When lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. When lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. That's the process that will absolutely lead to death. So the process also that leads to life, remember the parable of the soils? Who are you? The hard-hearted or the one by the wayside where the sun's going to scorch you or the one that's never repented or the one that it's going to get in your heart and it's going to grow and it's going to produce and God's going to be well pleased. That is receive with meekness, not proud like a little kid, little meek can be led the engrafted word not just but let it become part of you the engrafted word which is able to save your soul the whole world's looking for that righteousness peace and joy they're all looking for it and it's in the word of god so one more the crown of life that's the trophy that's what we're going after. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word. It will save you. Now, Sister Ellen's going to come, and she's going to put another layer on our maturity talking about our words. So let's get with her. Thank you, Sister Ellen. Thank you, Sister Jill. Good review. If you could go to the next one, please. And who would like to read that? Anybody like to read it out loud for us? I can. Okay. <laughs> Thank 
Thank you for volunteering. Sure. If anyone does not stumble on what he says, never saying the wrong thing, he is a perfect man, fully developed in character without serious flaws, able to bridle his whole body and reign in his entire nature, taming his human faults and weaknesses. Now if we put bits into the horse's mouth to make him obey us, we guide their whole body as well. And look at the ships. Even though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder whenever the impulse of the helmsman determines. In the same sense, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See by comparison how great a forest is set on fire by a small spark, and the tongue is, in a sense, a fire, the very word of injustice and unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, set among our members as that which contaminates the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, the cycle of man's existence, and is itself set on fire by hell. That's pretty heavy duty. Mm -hmm. We've got quite the weapon in our in our mouth. If you could go to the next, please. <clears throat> so our words have the potential to cause great damage, like a wildfire destroys a beautiful forest, or poison that causes irreparable damage. Proverbs 18:21 states, "Death and life are in the power of the tongue. An unwise tongue can assassinate a person's character." destroy reputation, even ruin a church. So James doesn't mince words when he talks about the power of our tongue. It can destroy marriages, ruin a friendship, um, even cause war between countries. You know, yes. people don't keep themselves in check. Today we could also say that what's typed out in our keyboards comes from the heart. When you're anonymous on Facebook, it can give people a sense of false courage and can just let loose and say some really terrible things. Has anybody ever? Yeah. Um, some, it's appalling sometimes. Um, I know myself, there have been times, would never say anything bad, but I see something like, oh, and then, whoops, better undo that. Yeah. Just don't say anything, it's much better. If we as children of God behave this way, it smacks of double-mindedness. Yes. We need the meekness of wisdom to follow his lead and to monitor our inline, online interactions just as carefully as we do our conversations in person with people. Next slide, please. Listen to what the master teacher says, who of course is Jesus. Matthew 15, 18, and 19. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, blasphemies. Luke 6 and 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. Okay, next slide. So <clears throat> this is part of a post that was on Facebook. Um, it's been a few years, at least. And I want you to look at that drawing <coughs> and just place yourself in each side, each person, um, and think about just think about that. I know when I look at the one on the right, I feel deep shame because I can remember times where I have 
use my words in a not very nice way. Um, even if someone attacks you, is mean, has done something terrible to you, there is no justifying to, to behave like that. It's just not okay. Then I look at the other side, and I can remember many times being on the receiving end of harsh words. Um, look at that, the heart is bleeding. They're all sunk down to themselves. You could almost just sink right down and dissolve away. That's how bad a person will feel by being verbally attacked like that. Um, death and life are in the power of the tongue. It's very, very plain right there. God help us that we can speak nicely and with love to people. Yes. Now, oh, there, no, you're going to leave that because I. The other part of this post was um, a letter that a lady she put with it, and it was just really, really good. So I wanted to share it with you guys. I've thought a lot on this lately and felt I needed to post. I've heard more times than I can count by multiple people. I just speak my mind, and if they don't like it, oh well. I'll say what I want to say, and they can just get over it. If you don't like what I said, that's your problem. I want to say, be careful with your words. Once said, they can only be forgiven, not forgotten. How you make others feel about themselves with your words says a lot about you. Don't say something permanently hurtful just because you're temporarily upset. It only takes a few moments to hurt someone with our words, but it can take years to repair the damage. Be sure to taste your words before you spit them out. Think how you would feel if they were said to you. Don't mix bad words with your bad mood. You'll have many opportunities to change a mood, but no opportunity to put, replace the words you spoke. Speak only when you feel your words are better than your silence. That's like, excellent. You never know how long your words will stay with someone, long after you've forgotten them. Just because you're free to say whatever you want doesn't mean that you always should. Lastly, tomorrow you'll have to live with the things you said today. Think before you speak. I think we can go to the next one. Yes, look at that. That's a weapon. <laughs> and look what happens to you. Look at all those blisters. You know, you get hurt too in the, at that exchange. The time is a powerful tool that has been given us to us by God. We are individually responsible for how we use our tongue. Matthew 12, 36 and 7 says, But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For thy, by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words, by thy words thou shalt be condemned. No one can tame the human tongue. 
For every species of beast and birds, reptiles and sea creatures is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can, can, can tame the human tongue. It is a restless evil, undisciplined, unstable, full of deadly poison. Only God can, can he can, can, he can tame the human tongue. <laughs> he does this when we give ourselves to him completely and he fills us with the Holy Ghost. Yes. We allow him to come in and he speaks through us. That's him controlling our tongue. Double-mindedness. With the same mouth we bless and curse men who are made after the likeness of God. A fountain cannot give sweet and bitter water at the same time. Fig trees cannot bear olives, a grapevine cannot bear figs. No fountain can yield both salt and fresh water. We must use our words carefully, considering the lead of the Holy Ghost, so that we may consistently speak all things in love. We must be submitted to God and not be a friend of the world. To be double-minded means we will not inherit the kingdom of God. We cannot love two masters. Proverbs 21 and 23 says, Whoso keepeth, keepeth his mouth and his tongue, keepeth his soul from troubles. Ephesians 4 and 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. What does it mean to edify someone? Build up, very good, yes. A divided heart will lead to inconsistent habits of speech. A person with a wholehearted devotion to God will have godly speech. Therefore, it's important that we guard our hearts, that we ask God for that wisdom to speak life and not death, to encourage and edify, not destroy and tear down. And we can't do it by ourselves. We've got to have his help. And he'll help us. Psalm 19.14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We are in spiritual battle every day, all day. And Jesus is waiting with open arms to equip us with the wisdom we need to fight. Yes. And you know what? Go back because, oh, yeah, please go back. Um, another version of this, this uh, the Matthew 12 and 36 and 37 says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Will you use your tongue for good or for evil? It's a good thing to think about. You know, on the day of judgment, we're going to have to, he's going to say, what about this that you said? What about that that you said? So we want to be sure we don't have to talk about something that's not going to be good, right? Mm, Jesus. Consider the source. Does a spring send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. The Apostolic Bible um, Commentary 
says, these illustrations re reinforce the idea that the tongue merely reveals its source, the heart. So out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our many members, that it, it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. The commentary says about this, the tongue's potential for evil is hard to exaggerate. The course of nature ignited by the unruly tongue may reflect the ordinary series of consequences that result from speaking unwise words. So we should practice good conversation and love at all times. Consistently. Yes. Treat people well in our family, the church, at the grocery store, wherever we are, we can stay right with God and others and bring people in. Yes. Winning souls. It's very, very high on God's list, so we have to be a good witness. Yes. Now you may go to the next one. Thank you. Wow. How about those words? Yeah. Were those maybe the best words ever spoken by human beings by <laughs> that, that, that point in time? Oh, my goodness. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The disciples could not have taken this message out in the world until they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And so it is for us that we need that spirit, we need that wisdom, we need that advice from him in our life. Yes. Every day. Every day. In everything that we do. The spiritually mature sow or plant peace and reconcile people to each other and to God. Peacemakers. Peacemakers are very, very important. The uh, apostolic commentary talks about heavenly wisdom is not tainted by envy or self-seeking. It is pure because it has the welfare of others at heart. Peacemakers, rather than dividing people, look for opportunities to bring people together. It causes one to listen and to look for ways to accommodate others. Look at all that the Lord has for us. The word is a mirror. We look at ourselves, what do we see? Do we need God's help? Yes. These are things that are good to consider. Yes. Because we want to be right with him. And remember, he's only got good things for us. Yes. All good things. So good, Sister Ellen. Our words should be few. Proverbs 10 and 19 says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Our words should be cautious and filtered through Jesus. Proverbs 29 and 20. Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Be slow to speak. Yes. You know, when you're saying this, I'm just thinking about in the world system, if you watch the news, they all want to say it before the other one, and they talk. Oh, so we're trained, aren't we, through that. I'm just seeing that. Okay. To just get back right, right away. Yeah. yeah. That's true. 
Psalm 141.3, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Help me to close my mouth, Lord, when it is prudent to do so. Yes. Sometimes that's all we have. To, we depend on him to keep that back. Okay. Next slide, please. Our words have the potential to cause great damage, like a wildfire that destroys a beautiful forest, or poison that causes irreparable damage. Proverbs 18.21 states, death and life are in the power of the tongue. An unwise tongue can assassinate a person's character, destroy reputation, and even run, ruin a church. Okay. That looks like the same one you have. I know. It looks like I might have accidentally okay. put the same one okay. twice. I'm sorry That's if I did right. that. Okay. That's all right. So earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. James says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be arrogant, and as a result, be in defiance of the truth. This superficial wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, secular, natural, unspiritual, even demonic. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder, unrest, rebellion, and every evil thing and morally degrading practice. The apostolic commentary says this, two characteristics of earthly wisdom are envy and self-seeking. Both, both seek to destroy others while building up oneself. The greatest goal of genuine Christians is to build up or edify others. Earthly wisdom is unbending and obstinate in its effort to force its own way. Um, Brother Raymond Woodward from Canada, anybody familiar with him? He did um, a series called Life Hacks over the summer. It was the study of Proverbs, and it was really great, and he's publishing it. Sometime next year, the book is going to come out. So he had this quote that I absolutely, I said to Joe, we've got to put this in, <laughs> put this in here. So he talks about, we all carry a bucket to every interaction, okay? Everyone carries a bucket of water and a bucket of gasoline to every interaction. You have the power to either calm down the situation or blow up the conversation. And the choice you make reveals your own nature. So every day we have choices. Who, who talked about choices? Somebody was talking about how many choices. I think Brother Greg on Sunday about the thousands of choices that we have every day. It's up to us to choose God's way or Satan's way. Right. In asking for wisdom and faith, we speak life. And if we refuse, we speak death and destruction. Just, just nudge it. I'm not sure. No, not yet. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't recognize it. So let's contrast the world's counsel with God's counsel. If we're void of true spiritual wisdom, we're going to be quick to embrace the world's wisdom. Self-improvement and sanctification are two very different things. The world offers all kinds of self-help, but will that sanctify our hearts? Help us get to heaven. 
The world offers solutions, but God offers the miraculous and wholeness. The world will dispense just enough help to keep people from experiencing a genuine breaking before God in true repentance. Rather than embrace the biblical concepts of self-denial and death to self, all too often people run to experts to provide alternative answers that keep people locked in the prison of self-focus, self-centeredness. You can see this, I can even say this about myself, there's been times I should have gone to the altar and repented, but instead I talked to somebody else and you know, kind of got lifted up by them and then, oh, it's okay. Well, it's not okay. The world says, oh no, you shouldn't have to hurt or suffer over things. Go ahead and do what you want. Do the things that make you happy. But God is asking to you to die to yourself and devote yourself to me. This is where true healing and wholeness comes from. Jesus is the only place. Absolutely. <clears throat> I have a quote. Scripture is the manual for all soul work and is so comprehensive in the diagnosis and treatment of every spiritual matter that, energized by the Holy Ghost in believers, it leads to making one like Jesus Christ. And I'll just repeat that. I like that so much, and it's, it's a lot to, to take in. Scripture is the manual for all soul work and is so comprehensive in the diagnosis and treatment of every spiritual matter that energized by the Holy Ghost in the believer, it leads to making one like Jesus Christ. The Bible has every answer, anything that could happen to us on this earth. The people in the Bible, there's so many issues in the Bible, everything, anything. We can go there and we can get the help. And with counsel, of course, of our pastor or someone yes. godly. Spiritual. We have to look to Jesus for healing and wholeness because he's the only one that can give that to us. By studying the word, praying, hearing the gospel preached and taught, and applying it to our lives, we can follow that righteous path and find rest for our souls. He will make us whole. The world can't do this for us. The prince of the world, what is, what's his plan? Is he going to be happy if we're peaceful and content? No. His agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy. Yes. So we cannot follow the world's counsel. The path to wholeness is the path to spiritual sanctification. 1 Corinthians 1 and 22 says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. This tendency to exalt human wisdom is a roadblock that faces people who want a deep, true, and victorious life in Christ Jesus. He commands us to set our minds on things above and seek the mind of Christ in all things. Our problems can stem from our tendency to approach spiritual matters with a natural reasoning mind which the Bible says is it's a perpetual antagonist of God. In Romans 8 and 7, Paul said that the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. So 
worldly counsel, <laughs> godly counsel, <laughs> amen. Okay, next slide please. <laughs> Bit and a rudder both have the power to direct our words directly affect the lives of others. We can guide others down the right path in life with the right words. We can help others navigate tempestuous waters with our words. Never underestimate the power of your words. And you want to use these wide words everywhere. In church, we said it before, in the family, take it to the streets share with people about Jesus. The spiritually mature tongue can do these things and more. Encourage, build up, actively listen, pray for others, speak love, prophesy, sing spiritual songs. It's a great thing to have. Amen. Next slide. So what is spiritual maturity? The ability to make spiritual decisions, quality of Christ-likeness, quality of attitude, quality of soul. It's produced on the road of trials, and they can be hard, but they're worth it. Every yes. bit of suffering that we may do here on this earth will be worth it. It leads to forgiving others, and it's a lifetime process. So each one of us in here, we're on a different place in our walk, different place on the journey. But together we can 